Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Shrimp and Sivret Show, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. <laughs> going on Danny Sabret. Robbie what's going on buddy? It's good to see you again my friend. Welcome back to the, the third episode of the Shrimp and Sivret show. We got a lot of meat to talk about today and uh, plenty of juice to talk about from the playoffs. Um, one thing what do you think about all these game sevens in, in the yeah. first round? Game? What a fan what a what a viewing opportunity for hockey fans right like so was it five game sevens a uh, couple of them went to overtime like that like for me watching that's playoff hockey right like it was yeah. obviously some of the teams I, I thought was, were going to win more handily than others, but um, you know, it just shows the parody in, in the league and how, how close every team is when it comes to a series. But wow, what, a, what a, a, a good time to be sitting on a couch watching hockey. It's sick, man. I, I, did not, I don't think anybody really saw that many Game 7s coming. Um, you know, everybody had some blowouts, and this team's going to smoke that team. You know, Calgary, I thought, would smoke. Dallas, Dallas put up a hell of a fight. Um, LA Kings put up a hell of a fight. You know, there's a lot of teams that really dug in their heels and weren't going to go away uh, very easily. And then, you know, to touch on the sore topic or the, the kind of seems like what was inevitable is, is Toronto getting bounced, you know, at home game seven. Um, you know, what, what did you think of that series? What did you think? Uh, I have some of my own thoughts, but what did you, did you think about that last game, game seven? Do you think it could have been maybe, maybe coached a little bit different or, or played a little? Well, bit I mean, it's, it's still at the end of the day, a, a tight game, right? I just, I just think it's, it's so hard to win in hockey when you have so much money allocated to a few players, right? Like you, you have to have a deep team. Uh, you either have to have some production from entry level players or lower uh, salary grade players. Uh, it just, it's, you know, I thought they did a good job in, in running Matthews and Marner a lot. Like, I think, you know, I got, I earned a lot of respect for Matthews during this series. Like he, he plays hard. He strips guys. He, he, like, he's a threat on the ice all the time. Um, and I think he just, he showed that he is obviously one of the top players in, in the, the world. I think, um, I think that, I think Tampa maybe, maybe focused too much on the matchups in my mind. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna run Matthews and Marner every other shift, then you're then Tampa. What they did was they they tried to match that um, Sorelli line with them. Yeah, and I think Toronto's winning that matchup. And when you're getting it over and over and over again, I almost wish that Tampa would. I mean, they won, so maybe boo on me. But 
I almost wish that they, I almost wish that they would have had another line to go to, to come back with on the Matthews line so that Matthews and, and Marner are fatiguing themselves, but they're, they're facing off against a fresh line, every other shift type deal versus you're, you're, you're matching up against another Tampa line. That's also fatigued. So it's just a battle of two, you know, pretty gassed lineups and, or, or, or lines. And I think that's where Toronto sort of took the advantage there, but in the end, Tampa ended up winning. I don't know what, what are your thoughts? I, th- I mean, it's, I mean, I'm from Toronto area, so it's obviously all over the news and people are waiting to hear what the press conferences or the exit meetings are going to be like and what if heads are going to turn or, or what, but um, you know, I, I think, I think there was a lot of hope for a lot of the, the Leaf fan base. And unfortunately it's sort of no different than what the last few years, a bunch of years yeah. in a row have been like, I think I'm surprised more about how the almost how the D pairings were spread out in minutes and not seeing, you know, some top, top D men playing heavy, heavy minutes, which kind of what I'm accustomed to and seeing and getting those guys, you know, on the ice as much as off as much as possible. It's kind of spread out and they spread the load a little bit. I, I think I would like to see Giordano play a lot more, more minutes. You know, he only played, I think, 19 minutes in the last game. And he's an unbelievable shutdown guy. He's a North Trophy candidate or North Trophy winner, sorry, two years ago. And his game's been really sharp since he came to Toronto. So I don't know, just some of that, maybe in the back end, maybe cutting the bench down a little bit. And one game winner, uh, one game winner takes all sort of setting. I'm going to load up as much as I possibly can and not play that spread out, you know, minute game. But that's, that's one thing that stuck out to me. And then I think the great thing for me watching was Nick Paul coming from Ottawa, big pickup at the, at the trade deadline. I got a chance to skate with Palsy down in Naples, Florida in the summertime. I was super happy for him, but he showed up big, he's, you know, he's an Ontario kid and get to score two goals in the, in the game seven scenario. That was pretty neat, but um, it was a, it was a good series. I just thought, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on how if that could have been coached any differently, or, you know, if you would have managed the bench any, any, any way. Different I, I don't know. I, I think, like I said, it, it, it ended up a, a one goal game in game seven, right? It's almost like coin flip. Um, and, and I think he kept going back to the well and, and running Matthews and Marner as much as he possibly could. Right. Uh, I think, you know, when, when, when point went down, I thought that maybe is going to change some things. He's a big role player for not role player, but he plays a big role for, for Tampa. So I thought maybe it was in Toronto's, you know, best opportunity to, to succeed there, but uh, in the end, Tampa ended up winning their uh, proven team. Like you said, uh, they made a couple of good pickups at the dead at the deadline. Paul being one of them, it obviously paid off for them in, in Game Seven. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what they're like moving forward. If Point can come back and uh, if if Vasilevsky plays a little, uh, you know, stronger than he did in in the first series. Uh, but it, it, that the next series up for for uh, Tampa should be a a thrilling one. It's unfortunate that. You know, I, I almost would deem that to be a conference final type matchup, but the way that the playoff format is, uh, Florida's got to play Tampa early on, so uh, it'll be a, a an exciting series to watch for sure. Did you see? Did you see Stamkos's interview after after they beat Toronto? I, I heard like I sympathizing and like really, you can almost see him feel the pain for these guys, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you know he basically stuck up for them, saying how good of a team they were and. You know, it is really tough. He's right. It's very tough to win in this league. And Toronto, I mean, Tampa's such a stacked team and experience now with back-to-back cops. And, you know, they got their licking against uh, close at Columbus. I think it was three, was it three years ago when they lost? They had that unbelievable regular season and got spanked 
by uh, Columbus in the first round. So that was kind of their, you know, roadblock to get over. Now they seem to be rolling pretty good, but I thought that interview was pretty interesting and the way that he was, I don't know, he was almost sticking up for those boys, you know, he knew well, he's, from, he's going Toronto area kid too. Right. And, and probably yeah. trains with a lot of these guys in the, in the summer. Right. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough to win. You know, it was, we saw it in this, the first round, how close every, every series was like, I, you know, what sort of surprised me was, uh, was the Carolina Boston series for whatever reason, I, I thought Boston was going to win the series. Just, you know, they, they seem like they're proven winners and I just like the Bergeron line. And then I watched that game seven pretty closely and, and Carolina can just smother a team. Like they, they play a really structured game. Like obviously Brendan Moore's done a really good job there, but Boston never really got much going. Like they were trying, you know, it's, third period you're down by a goal or two you're you're pressing pressing and it's like they couldn't mount anything it was just like game six was unreal game six they were carolina was smoking them i mean running shift after shift cycle after cycles after cycle after cycle and then i don't know what happened the penalty train just turned on and they took like three or four carolina took three or four penalties excuse me in a row and that changed all the momentum boston came tumbling back but that was five on five excuse me carolina was all over them. And they just, they had this unreal, they have this unreal system where they play the cycle game and they get to a point on one side of the ice. And once they get kind of they feel like they're going to get trapped, they just whip it around the wall and they just keep it going. They have these call them simple outs, simple anchors, where again, the guy just has to, he's down the corner. He's about to get pinned. He just rims it around and they have relief on the other side and they just kept running Boston through it. And I think we talked pre-series about that. I liked Carolina in that series. I thought they were younger, fresher, and they have a little more grit to their game than, than I think given credit for. You know, they're not a major market either, so they don't have a ton of coverage, and you don't see a lot on them. Boston's obviously a lot better covered, um, bigger market, the hockey market, so to speak. But I, I just felt like Boston was – they're coming – they've played a lot of playoff hockey, and those, those guys, that core group is – again, they've seen a lot of hockey. Do so. you think Bergeron's done? I don't think he's – I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's done at all by watching his game. He's still got it. He does, does a lot of stuff very well and he's still mm-hmm. producing points and he's got chemistry with Pasternak and Marshawn. I just, I, you know, I don't feel like they had the supporting cast to be honest with you, that they did in those championship years, you know, little things like, like Gregory Campbell. I thought he was a big factor in their championship team. Um, you know, he played, I didn't see someone like that in a, you know, role position standing out um if, could, do you think of anybody on boston that would stick out in that capacity not really i think debrusque i think there was you know early on in the 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 season i think they were there was talks of him maybe getting moved or something and then uh and then obviously didn't get dealt at the de- deadline i think he played a, a pretty significant role for them at, you know big uh power forward player who can score i thought he was uh that he was a pretty good uh, force for them out there but uh what about your what about your rangers i thought i thought I thought Shesterkin was going to play a lot better, and, and I thought it was going to be, you know, a close series because down the middle, Pitt's unbelievable, right? You have Crosby, Malik, and Carter as your one, two, three centers. Like that's that's a good a good group, right? Um, but they ran into obviously some goaltending issues, which I don't think was a it didn't really hamper them all that much. But I, I just I sort of expected uh, Shesterkin to sort of steal the show and be, you know, a, a guy that has the, you know, the opportunity to, to bring his team to the Stanley cup finals potentially, but uh, they ended up getting through and uh, you never know what'll happen 
here on out, but uh, I, I just was sort of expecting a little bit more from, from him. Right. But yeah, they're, they're a weird, weird team to me. Um, I don't know. They don't, they don't seem strong to me, the Rangers, to be honest with you, they got through here and they got a big win over Pitt, a big series win over Pitt, but I, I don't feel it that force coming from them. Like you said, they don't have that solid concrete piece in the goal that didn't have that, that, that vibe to it at all. Um, we'll see what, what comes to this next series, but yeah, that's one of those things. I think that, that I'd be predicting them to be out in the second round. They're not, yeah. they're not firepower. I don't know. They don't have that grit to them. Uh, they're not really steamrolling on the offense per se. You know, they're not lighting the lamp up in my opinion and dominating. I, I again, I go back to Carolina, but I love the way that they're, they're playing team offense and it's rolling. And, and one guy that's really sticking out to me is D'Angelo is playing unbelievable for Carolina right now. He's got one of those vibes to him in the playoffs right now. That's you remember that year we lost to Guelph in, in the, before the Mem Cup year. Yeah, four. Yeah. Remember Kevin Klein? Yeah. He scored three hat tricks in a seven game series against us in the playoffs. And that's, that's a little bit of what I'm seeing from D'Angelo right now. He's really buzzing. He's making a lot of really good plays. And you know, there was game six. He had an emotional, not to say emotional meltdown, but he threw a stick at the empty net and everybody was kind of, you know, jumping on him and this, that, and the other. And then he comes out in game seven and plays lights out. Like he played sick. He had a one-timer from the top of the key, went shelf, uh, made a ton of good plays. But anyways. Think he I plays like diff- think he plays any different now that he's going back to New York? Where they sort of said, see you later? Or do you think he, it sparks him even more? Uh, he shipped himself out of there. I mean, he couldn't stay off yeah. of Twitter. You know, <laughs> he couldn't stay off of Twitter. That's unfortunate. You know, what a what a place. So I think it's probably better off for him to be in that, again, not as big of a market where there's a huge spotlight on you. But um, And also they got Fox there in, in, in New York right now. So I think he's, he's good. Really, he's really good. Uh, he's yeah. developed into a hell of a hockey player. I think in the beginning they were shoving him into the role, and I, I could see that personally. That's my opinion. Um, and that's how players get to these positions. They get somebody that believes in them deeply and just is going to keep using them, using them. And, that, and that's what happened there. I think with, with Quinn, he just believed in the guy and he kept giving the shots, giving the shots in the beginning. It was a little bit sloppy to me. And then it was kind of like, where is this going? And all of a sudden it just clicked and he was like making brilliant plays, controlling yeah. the pace. He's really smart shot selection, um, doing it all. So uh, I watched, I watched them quite, uh, quite a bit, just, I thought it was an interesting series and, and I know he doesn't have the body type, but he, he reminded me of like, remember Pronger Edmonton days where like, it was just like, he would sort of hold pause the puck and then just make like an outlet pass to like an opportunity, you know, like just, just pinpoint passing to like right from inside of his own blue line to a, a stretch guy on the move, you know, three on two opportunity. I just thought, I, I was sort of, I, I didn't really watch him that much during the season. And then just in that series, I was like, holy cow, this kid is a lot better than I had originally thought. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. You wonder why he got second chance after what happened in New York, but it's clear he's a hell of a player. And it's just about, you know, the other stuff, cleaning that up and focusing on hockey. But yeah, your point that, that you're, we were black aces in Edmonton watching prongs. It was sick how good he was and how smart he was. But, and, and the thing is, is like how simple it looked. You know, mm. it really did look super simple. He wasn't going end to end and dang. No, hardly he moved. Like, just like a pocket passer. Yeah, he, he paused time and he paused, he paused everybody else that's sort of on the ice and he paused time and then made the right play, calculated, boom, hit the right guy. So it was sick watching that. Um, Fernando Pizzani. 
Is there any for yeah, Fernando? Fernando, he was he was on. Yeah, Fernando hit the hot streak that you remember. He had 13 goals in the playoffs. Yeah. That was sick. And Ole uh, Rolson was unbelievable. Yeah. What a guy, uh, Dwayne Rolson. We stood on his head. That was being part of that. You know, we were unfortunately we didn't get to jump in and play any games, uh, but being in the city for that time was it was unbelievable. That building, Rexall Place, was the, the catwalk was shaking when we were yeah. listening before the anthem. It was it was so intense. It was sick. Um, but yeah, those what? guys came. Okay, so now now talk now we're talking Edmonton. Let's go. Who do you got? Edmonton, Calgary. Like, how's that? That's going to be wild for anyone who's out in Alberta, right? Like, yeah. it's dream scenario. They better get the. I mean, they got the national guard. They better get the national card ready. I don't know if they have that. Is that with the same thing in Canada? We have Mounties. They have Mounties out mounties? there. Mounties. You better get the Mounties. You better get the horse. Horse is ready. I think it's it's going to be so intense. I mean, this is everybody's been waiting for this. And I remember. I don't know if you remember or not, but I remember in training camp back when we were there, I don't know, 05 or 06, maybe 07. And in training camp, I remember the coach saying something along the lines of like, our, our success this year is going to come through the battle of Alberta and how we do against Calgary. So, I mean, this, this rivalry, this blood has been boiling for so many years and, and it's, it's going to be so intense. It's, it's, it's exciting. They get to this point in the playoffs and get the, you know, they have two pretty solid teams. Calgary's got a bunch of studs as well. I mean, I know we got dry and McDavid, arguably the two best players in the world right now. And then you got, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk uh, go down the line. I mean, they got some studs there as well. I mean, Johnny Gaudreau and Kachuk both had a hundred point seasons as well. Yeah. I, I think Calgary's going to be tough to beat. I think they're going to play a real, you know, their coach sort of breeds at his blue collar uh, yeah. style. I think it's going to be a, you know, a more smash mouth type game than what uh, Edmonton saw in, in LA. But uh, yeah, it'll be for sure. I'm watching that series. Like it's going to be pretty intense. It'll be interesting to see how they, how they try to tame the the, the two big dogs in, in Edmonton there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Calgary's got horsepower as well. Some depth. Uh, again, they, they made a couple uh, decent moves at the deadline and, uh, their goaltending has been uh, pretty strong, uh, and they and they peppered the hell out of Dallas, right? Like the goaltender in Dallas was really the only reason I think that they they stayed alive for for seven games worth. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if Edmonton can uh, can get the same sort of output uh, from their goaltending that Dallas did. Get the riot police ready. <laughs> it's gonna be a gong show. What what about uh, what about the floor? Like Florida, I think is a is like a really big powerhouse team, right? Their, their top three lines are deep. They made great pickups at the deadline and drew, I think the Sherratt pickup was, was a, a really solid play for a depth defenseman who, you know, has had some experience and plays that big physical game. Um, what do you, what are you sort of predicting there for the battle of Florida? I, I, I like Florida Panthers a lot, to be honest with you. I like to, to piggyback off what you're saying. I, I they're a force to be reckoned with. And I didn't really like Tampa, to be honest with you, in that first round. I thought they were, they showed a lot of weakness. I thought those first two or three games, they, they were sloppy. And it was weird. It was really weird. I think, you know, that, well, the game two, they battled back. They won a big game, but I didn't have that Tampa Bay firepower to it, look to it, in my, in just my opinion. I don't know. It looked like they were a little bit weak. And I, I like the way that Florida's rolling. And I think there's, a lot of great momentum there. You know, they're coming from not really being anybody to now being a powerhouse. So that's a little bit different. I think it's a new energy for that organization, for that group. And 
I think they're just, they have that, I don't know what I say it. It's almost like a naive cockiness to them. And I, I like that about them. You know, I play with a guy like Mackenzie Weger. Weegs doesn't, I don't how do I say this properly without saying it wrong, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he's not going to feel the pressure. He just goes out there. And he's like, wow, he just loves hockey. And he's super excited, young, cocky. And the situation, I'm sure he understand, understands the uh, seriousness, of, seriousness of it, but he just has that youthness to him. And he's going to go out there and, and be a, you know, kind of a wrecking ball, so to speak. Um, that kind of energy, I think, is big down in Florida for the Panthers. Um, I'm sure they're just getting used to having the building full, <laughs> having, having packed home home games. But I don't know. I like the way they're playing, the way they're rolling. Barkov is, is a very good player. He's good. Like, he's so leader. good, this Barkov guy, man. I couldn't like, believe it. I remember I saw him for the first time. I was skating with David Bowen in Florida. I was, I was driving over from Naples to Fort Lauderdale to skate in the mornings with them. It's actually how I got my gig up in Portland. I, I was looking for a job, and I just said, Bolte, I'm going to come skate with you guys. And I went every morning, drove at six o'clock in the morning, drove over there to skate with those guys for pre-camp and sorry to get to the long story long here, but I remember getting on the ice with Barkov and, I, and in the beginning I was just like, man, this guy seems kind of like lethargic, like, but he was out there literally going maybe 15%. So I didn't see it. You know, I was like, man, he's kind of putsy, you know? Yeah. And then the season turned out and I was like, holy shit, this guy is so good. He does, he does everything good. And then he, like when he turns it on, he does everything at an elite level. Uh, he executes his execution rate is just sick. His what what I like like what I like being you know in the coaching position is like the his ability to like back check and stay above the puck defensively and strip guys like you know you you usually get like a you know a higher octane type forward and you know maybe a little bit lazy. This guy is not like he he wins every face off. He back checks. He back pressures the puck like. He'd like, as a coach, you're like, wow, this guy, I would love to have this guy on, on my team. And then conversely, I think the trade for Drew, you know, that's one of the first things he said when he got there was like, I want to play with this guy. <laughs> like, you know, like, and Drew again, is a, is a, obviously a smaller ish player, but biggest heart in the world competes like hell wins draws like great vision. Like he's a guy that, uh, I would like to win a cup, but at some point, like he's, he's worthy of it. I think he's a, a you know, a, a talent and, uh, you know, an undrafted, I think he was, no, not, he was undrafted into the O, right? Yeah. I don't know if you knew that or not. He's an Ontario boy yeah. and ended up going and playing in the queue because no one picked him in the O, right? But uh, yeah, bloomer. he's, what's that? Late bloomer. But so still got, good. Like The side piece is like Verhege is playing unbelievable right now. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, I know he works with, with Brad Wheeler and he's been pumping. His he's from my hometown. Time. Went Is to he? high school. Yeah. Same high school. But yeah, he's, nice. he was, I think he was like 12 points in the first round. Like everything that's yeah. Fernando Pisani, like, like everything he was touching was going in, but he just looked like he was on a, a different turbo boost level out there too. Like he just was an engine that just kept going all the time, but it'll be a tough series for sure. I, I mean, uh, allegiance a little bit on my side would be leaning towards our buddy, Corey Perry in Tampa, but It'll be a like talk about parody again. Like it wouldn't surprise me if if a good majority of these series all go the distance or close to right. Like it's it's That's gonna right. be tight. I put a tweet out the other day, but I was like, man, imagine this. Is, not imagine this is a great time to be a fan with all these game sevens. And I said, what about the the escrow for the boys with all these game sevens? Do it for business talk. I mean, it's it is good for the players. I'm sure none, but if you want yeah. to talk about that side, but it is good. 
we never touched we never touched on uh on st louis colorado but i i think that's going to be a tighter series than what people think like obviously colorado is a, a a force but i i just like the way st louis is built like they're a, a heavy team they're deer active uh they're coached well o'reilly is like arguably the best shutdown guy in the world like you know it'll be interesting to see what how this series plays out because it you know i think everyone sort of counts st louis out based on no oh, colorado is going to be in the finals but I don't know. It'll, it'll be, I think a lot tighter than what we think. Yeah, I agree. They're, they're a proven win, proven winner and they got a lot of good pieces and yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think how it's going to be really pivotal, how McKinnon acts or reacts to getting, you know, maybe shut down in St. Louis, uh, tightly checked and see what that response is. Cause he's obviously a huge piece to them. Um, you know, losing that or shutting, if they can, if St. Louis shuts him down, it really shuts down a big engine for that team. So how he reacts to that, I think is going to be pivotal to the series as well. Yeah, no, I think I'm with you. Like it, it's, uh, it, it, I, I just like the way, I mean, I, I, I've coached, I've been coached by both of those coaches are both elite uh, coaches. Obviously their teams are in the position they're in, but uh, I just, I just, for some reason, like the way St. Louis is just built, like they, they seem big, heavy, hard to play against. And that's, it's tough come playoff time. It'd be interesting to see how, how uh, Colorado's young D handle uh, a little bit heavier squad in, in uh, St. Louis. Yeah. I, I love the way the, the game is being played right now. The playoff hockey. It, I don't know if you've noticed for me personally, it's gone. It just, how it changes in the playoffs. It goes back to the old, kind of old school game of like grind it out in the corners, you know, cycling during the regular season. It's the trend has changed so much. It's, it's a track meet. It's, it's just a big track meet. Everyone's going 100 miles an hour all over the place in the regular season, and then the playoffs come. And I think, for me, I was talking about the other day about, you know, Corey Perry. That's why he shines in this time of the year because it's that's his game. You know, the track meet game is not Corey's game. He's not a, you know, he doesn't skate 1,000 miles an hour, but he's super smart, and he knows how to, to get out of those corners and attack. And, and the playoffs right now, it's just fun to see it go back to that and have that piece of it. That's where the art happens, running the cycles, running picks, running plays off each other, making reads. You know, during the course of the season, again, with that track meet sort of thing, the windows of opportunities are so small because things are going so fast. And now when we see this in the playoffs, I just, I really enjoy watching it because you can see a play develop out of a cycle, out of a, you know, out of that sort of situation. You see what's about to happen again to kind of compare the two during the regular season. It's like going, 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 boom, boom, it's in the net. You're like, what the hell just happened? How did that just go in? Like, how did that play actually, you know, come to life? And now it's, it's getting more like that. You can sort of read the plays and see it. So I really enjoy the style that's going. And then when you're talking about St. Louis being that big body team, I think that plays very well for them. Cause that Colorado is a little bit of a, you know, running gun track team, you know, McKinnon fires up the ice. And then once he gets in the zone, then you got Cal McCarter, who's a musician all over the place in the offensive zone. He's super smart, knows every piece of the O zone. Um, but it's, we'll see how that plays out. You know, if, if St. Louis, controls the puck more and keeps it in the other team's end. Obviously that sounds like captain obvious, but that's, that's probably a huge, a huge factor. And they have the ability to do it. Yeah. And, and maybe to, to hybrid into our bring it to the table aspect, I, I want to bring uh, communication on the ice uh, as a topic. And, and I don't know if that plays into the fact of players being on the ice together for a longer period of time. And then that's why maybe come playoff time, you see a lot more, cycles and interchanges and things like that. But, um, I, I just, I wish that there was a way to view it more as a fan 
to, to understand and grasp that, that communication that goes on on the ice. Like they guys are speaking, talking all the time. Like, you know, here over low wall net, like, you know, you bump it back to the a rim goes into the goalie and the goalie's got his face into the glass, like under pressure. And he's getting barked at, like, whether it be up, over, wall, rim, leave it. Like, but you don't really get to pick that up as much on, on like, when you're watching, right? Versus having been there or even, you know, seeing a practice. There's no music. There's no nothing on. And the practice is always loud. Like, guys are calling for the puck over. Yeah, like, it's, it's a vocal game, right? Like, we always talk about it being uh, a fast-paced game of chess, right? But... There's just, there's just so much that goes on that you can't view in your own eyes. You need aid of your line mates or D partner or some, or even the bench uh, to help out. And uh, I just, I wish that there was a way to capture it for the fan base, right? Like a, in, in, especially speaking um, as a, as a coach that coaches 15 year old kids hoping to get drafted into the OHL, like a lot of these guys come into the season and, you know, practices is like, we're on mute, you know, it, to, to get them that and whether you say the right thing or the wrong thing, just something is better than just saying nothing. Right. Imagine the puck getting dumped in your corner and you're going back for it under pressure and you just don't hear anything. You're like, Oh boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I gotta make, I gotta make a play up here out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just think the communication piece for uh, players listening and, and, and obviously for the fans to, to uh to understand uh, how vocal some and whether it's whether it's players getting mic'd up and they can sort of do a little segment on that more less about the chirping more about the actual talking of communication on the ice but um what what's your thoughts on on that as far as like communication and uh and sort of being with your line mates for a, a long period of time yeah that's i mean that's a huge piece of the game is is, is helping your teammates out calling for the puck sort of let them know where the play's at, what's coming or what's available. I think the communication piece is huge and, and probably the part of to say why they don't like it because we all have truckers mouth and it's every other word is F or whatever. <laughs> the game's so fast though too, right? Like yeah. the game is so fast now that, that, you know, you, you almost have to communicate what you're doing before you, because the, the window for a passing option is, is so is closed off or it's a short period of time to get, to be able to have that open. So I just, yeah. I just love like, you know, listening, if I can get down close enough that I'm just above the glass so you can hear, you know, players call for the puck. And I just, I think like the art of that is unbelievable to, to watch. Well, it's, it's crazy. Like you said, the speed of it's so fast and it's, it's hard to process because it, it, it goes so fast um, to be able to communicate and think and put it all together, basically walk and chew gum is, is, is tough in today's game, to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's not, you know, you don't have three or four seconds to communicate, see it. First of all, process it, communicate it. You just kind of have to know where each other's at and just little, little verbal cues or what's or what they are. It's not like there's full sentences and like, Hey, you got a guy coming down the left side and you got to, you know, it's more like, yeah, right side. Boop, yeah. No left. Yeah. Coming here, change, whatever. It's like very fast cues. And that's on, you know, the high level guys to be able to process exactly what those verbal cues are. It's tough. And I think it's funny because we had this conversation just the other day with the men's league guys that I skate with here. They're like, Shrimpy, we don't have a, we don't have a clue what you're saying when you start talking like hockey talk, like half fall, you know, goal line. Yep. Net front. Nope. 
bumper you know like when i started using cues they're like we don't we don't speak that hockey talk so you have to like we have to go over that together before we can understand what you're saying you know and the other thing is is that it's english and they're latvian so <laughs> there's like a there's you know translation problem but there's also the fact that they don't really understand hockey language and kind of take that for granted that we you know we live in that space so long you do know those things like you know rim net front or whatever you know leave it for d cues with goalies like these little cues that you've kind of gone through, you know, years of practicing or years of going over with your teammates. So, and communication is a huge piece of it. So, yeah, I think it's, it's important for young kids, especially. And, and once you start, I think once you start communicating and once you get comfortable doing it, what, it, what to me, it means that you're really comfortable on the ice. You understand the ice surface, you understand what's going on. You know, that's the thing. If you don't know what's going on, you can't talk because you don't know it's, it's, it's a blur in your mind. So it's, what are you going to say? <laughs> What's going on in your head is blah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so if, when guys get, you know, that's the thing when they start understanding the game a little bit better, they get more comfortable with that communication because they're confident in what they're saying. They know what to do. They know what to say. They know how to give their teammate a cue. Um, and that for me is a little bit where guys get a little, a little bit more in their comfort zone. Yeah. To I, help out. I try, I try, like I run the pro state in, in London area with a lot of, you know, a lot of high-end guys. And, and I always try to get, the younger kids who are, you know, still playing minor hockey or, or on the verge of OHL or playing in the OHL to come out and, and sort of spectate one of these pro skates. Cause like the, you know, Drew Doughty is just barking, like squawking all the time. Like it's, you're just like, shut up, but that's how he plays. And it's like, whether it's a, a two-on-one transition drill where he jumps in the play, like everyone in the building knows that he's calling for the puck or that he's jumping up. Right. I just, uh, I just, it's a, an art that, you know, as a, a, a player that is now a fan, you sort of appreciate, you just wish that the the fan base could somehow absorb that, uh, in a, in a viewing model. I don't, I don't know how that could come of, but I just, it's something that I think is, is so cool and unique with, with our sport, you know, almost more, more so than any other sport. Cause it's, our sport is very reactionary. Right. And, and by communicating it, it helps with, you know, knowing where players are and just getting that comfort like you said comfort zone out there where the game will slow down for you a little bit even though it's so fast hyper fast but it slows down when you know you're hearing voices of your own teammates all over the place you know sort of dictating a little bit what to what to do with the puck but uh yeah that was that was just my uh segment of uh you know bringing it to the table is communication i, I touch on it a little bit in in our next little uh section when we go into a, a video breakdown I, I talk about you know the communication with with the defenseman, but, uh, what's, uh, about for you, what do you got for bringing it to the table, buddy? A couple things. And first thing I want to bring to the table is almost a, a celebration and a congratulations to Dustin Brown on his 18 year career coming to an end in LA and, and playing all 18 years in LA, uh, an amazing career. Um, great guy came from Ithaca, New York. And I remember growing up, Where's uh, that? Sy yeah, Syracuse <laughs> stars. Where's Ithaca? Yeah. It's actually, they got Cornell, the Cornell's in that in that area, neck of the woods. So, but yeah, he was kind of playing high school hockey and, and just in Ithaca, like youth, you know, whatever, not even triple A. It's just like travel hockey. And my dad actually saw him play one time. And my dad like brought him to like brought attention to the Syracuse stars. Like you got to see this kid. He's a stud. So Dustin came to Syracuse and we, we actually got a chance to play on a line together. We played, he played split season with us, Bantam major. And then he played split season with us in high school in 23 games, him and I had 66 points each. So it was safe to say that we hit it off pretty good. And, uh, 
anyways, great guy, amazing career, amazing story. He was, you know, his plans were basically to play high school, play hot, uh, play just Ithaca travel hockey and see where it went. And it turned out to be an amazing professional career. Um, won some Stanley cups. It was a captain, great leader for a long time. So I want to say congratulations to him, an amazing career, him and Nicole, I uh, know the family well. So, um, we'll leave it at that and hope he enjoys retirement and we'll see what he does next. And the next piece I wanted to bring to the table was the world championships that are going on right now. And, um, what I want to talk about is, is the difference between how the European teams, European players view the world championships compared to North America. I feel like there's a ton of national pride, a ton of pride in general for these teams and these players to go there from Europe and on the North America side, I don't feel like there's that much emphasis on the world championships and it's a big stage that's going on right now. And I just want to bring it to the table and have a discussion about it. See what, you know, you guys are in Canada. I'm over here in Latvia living with the, the pride and the, you know, the national pride and, and the, you know, basically the, the care that they put into this tournament. It's a big deal to them. When Latvia wins a game, the country goes crazy. I don't think it's the same there in Canada, is it? Uh, no, probably not as, as big. I mean, uh, it, obviously the time change is, is one aspect. Uh, the other one would be a, a, a good chunk of our Canadian you know, elite players are, are either still in the playoffs or opting maybe not to play in the world championships based on injury or recovery. Uh, I, I think in Canada, we, we view it almost as the, the next grouping of players who will be elite, almost like a developmental sounds bad, but it's, yeah. you know, we always send over a, a good young group of up and coming stars uh, yeah. to, to sort of gain experience and, a lot of them obviously graduate from there to go on and play, uh, you know, at, at the Olympics if if it's allowed for Team Canada. But um, yeah, it, it's it's for whatever reason it it it's not as viewed as as strong. Whereas like the Olympics or even like the World Juniors is is of greater um, care, I guess, in in Canada. But um, it's it doesn't take away the fact that you're still playing for your country as a as a player, and it just it, for whatever reason it just doesn't get the coverage. Uh, or notoriety, I guess, that you probably get over in, in Europe. And, and also, you know, you're, you're speaking of Latvia, like those guys probably practice together quite often and you might have a couple NHL guys come over, whereas uh, the Canadian and probably the American team are just a cluster of guys that have not been able to advance in the playoffs. And it's like, okay, guys, we're a team now, right? So uh, maybe they're a little bit more of the, the team element on the European side. Um, but as far as view viewership goes, it's obviously the time change would, would be, would play a little bit of a role, but for whatever reason, um, at least in, in Canada, we haven't really adopted that the tournament as like a big marquee tournament for us, even though it's obviously great, great hockey, but yeah, for whatever reason, we just, it's not as, as highly viewed or, or thought about here. Yeah, that's, I've got a chance obviously being here on the time slot, being in the time zone, so to speak, maybe an hour, I think an hour off from Finland, but. Um, yeah, it's been great hockey, like really high level hockey, very competitive. And again, just, I thought that piece was worth talking about to, to see the difference in, in the, how much pride the European teams put into it or how much emphasis they put on it compared to, I say us in North from North America, it's, it's totally different, you know, and I get asked that a lot too. I'm actually like, that's what they say. What do you, what do you think about the, I'm like, well, to be honest with you, they don't really care. You know, some guys don't even, some guys choose not to come and the guys that do come, they kind of maybe pick it on they pick their answer on where it's going to be, you know, 
Well, it's in Berlin, cool city. I'll go, you know, if it's not, then it's weird how that is though, that, that difference in, in kind of, again, emphasis on that tournament, but it is great hockey. You see some guys make the, make the jump to it. You know, uh, Matt Barzell's at the tournament, I think maybe he had a not so great year on his behalf or, or like to his standards. And this is a chance to get some different hockey, um, you know, join that world championships and play some high level hockey, get some different views than he would with the Islanders. Maybe, um, I know our, again, go back to our buddy, but pairs joined it the one year. I think it was really a cool medal for him to add to his, basically his locker of them with the world junior. I think that was the last one he needed to win to get yeah. the five, the five gold medals. So, Pretty cool that he got that, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. And again, again, a chance to see the games are very high level. So it's, it's interesting that there's not that much interest back home for those games and, and so much pride in it as, as, as it is here. Yeah. So that's, that's what I got for the table today. But yeah. Dustin Brown's the highlight of it. What I got today for for the clips and for the teaching points are uh, power play faceoff setups, and it's from Team Finland against Latvia. And I really liked what what Team Finland does here. They bring four guys up to the faceoff, meaning there's on the right. So the faceoff is on the right side of the goaltender. They Finland has one player on the wall on the right side, right in the hash marks, and on the inside they have one player on the hash marks, a forward, and they bring their D down. What they're going to do here is basically this is protecting against a loss. And when this puck gets lost, they have that guy on the wall. The, the player on the wall is going to jump right away and put pressure immediately on the defending player from Latvia. The inside guy on the faceoff is also going to jump at the same time. So we have two guys that are going to hound this puck and hound that defenseman. And one thing I want you to take note here in this clip, and it's something to understand as a coach, and if you're going to run this power play faceoff setup is the, the key thing in my mind here for this clip is that the Latvian defenseman is a left-hander. So the faceoff is to the, to the, if we're looking from the offensive side to the right side of the goaltender, that defenseman on Latvia is a left-handed player. So when he goes back to get the puck, he can't just rim it. It's a big factor in this setup. And when you're implementing it and you want to use it, this is something to take, this is a no or a, a key to focus on. If that's what the, you're playing against, this would be a great setup. So as the clip plays out, Latvia wins the draw, and we're going to see what happens here. We got the guy in the wall jumps, the guy on the inside of the faceoff jumps, and the third guy that's up there, which would be a D-man, he's going to go now behind the net, and he's going to close off the Latvian guy's outlet. So we can't go D to D with that puck, and that suffocates the play. And we'll watch as this plays out. You'll see the guys get their good jumps off the draw. As soon as the puck drops, they jump forward. The third finish guy is going to go behind the net, and he's going to seal that play off, and he's not going to give them an out. So Latvia tries to bump it D to D. You see we have two guys on the one Latvian D. Again, the third finish player is closing that out, suffocating the play, and they create a turnover here. And I just thought that this is a really good play. Now they get puck. They get puck control and they got the play set up in the offensive zone. And now we're going to see another example of this, a great example of this same exact setup. And this is a great key for individual players to pay attention to. This is something I talk to my wingers a lot about is on the faceoffs, get the jump, be ready, watch the referee's hand. As soon as the referee's hand 
starts to drop, you jump. When you jump, get your hand off your stick. You want to use the reach, the, the max reach you possibly can in these plays on the faceoffs. You're looking to just get touches on this play. You want to disrupt the flow of the puck and you want to stop it from moving. You're not looking, you know, if you can go in there and get full control, don't get me wrong. Obviously you do that, but your first reaction is to jump. And the next one is to use your reach. And we're going to watch as this plays out. The inside guy gets a great jump. The guy in the wall gets a great jump. They suffocate this defenseman and we'll watch as this plays out. The, the inside guy's stick gets out, gets extended. He pokes it off the Latvian guy's stick. So he can't go D to D with it. And now they're suffocated in the corner. And what I like here is number 64 from Finland, Granlin. He's the sentiment on this draw. He now jumps in to support it, close off the wall, and Latvia has no outs. And we're going to watch as this play plays out. This turns into a goal almost immediately. Big part of the game, three minutes left on the power play. They suffocate it. They don't let him exit the zone. The play comes out to Granlin, who is the one that suffocated the wall, and he winds up sniping. So this setup, this power play setup, is a really effective one if you know how to execute it. And I think it's great how Finland does it. And they have two, two different options off of this. The one that I just explained is they have one guy on the wall, two guys on the inside. And the second variation of this is, is they have two guys on the wall, one guy on the inside. You know, what you're going to see on this setup is the guy that's lined up right on the hash marks. His job is immediately as the puck drops is to get it in there and get contact on the PK defending player. The second player that's lined up right behind him comes up and picks up any loose change. So where this, where this goes wrong, this setup goes wrong, I've seen it happen before, is the guy that's on the hash marks decides that he wants to go in there and make the play. He wants to go in and get the puck and make the play. He's got to be really understanding that his job is to go in there and create contact. That's it. Let the second guy get the puck. Because when he creates contact with that defending PK player – he ties him up and that's where that second guy gets to come in and have all that loose area, that, that open room that's now created from nobody else being over there. So we're going to let this, this play out. You'll see how it happens. First guy gets a very good jump. Number 64 is going to come in here and get the puck and he's going to have time and space to create the setup. So this is the two different variations that I think is, is good for both coaches to understand and players on the individual side of it to understand what you're looking to do here and how to execute this on the power play face-offs. All right, just a, a component here talking about communication. Uh, my clip here, I have a Nashville, Colorado, and Nashville dumps a puck in Colorado, uh, and Colorado's under immense pressure here. So as the video plays out, the puck goes into Eric Johnson, who's in against the boards. His eyes are facing the glass, unknowing what's behind him. Nashville's done a really good job with F1 in cutting the ice in half, F2 going down the strong side wall, and a high responsible F3. What's open is the weak side of the ice. But how does he know that? His partner, right? Byram here calls for the puck, gets it easy out. out of the, a great forecheck by Nash, but a really smart job by Colorado just evading a hard forecheck. But what I really wanted to talk about here was the vocabulary or communication level that goes on with if it was just an, uh, an F1 on the attack and not as aggressive as what Nashville has played here, where 
we call it piggybacking. So imagine the puck is dumped in the corner. Johnson is going back for it. He has a Nashville player F1 on him, will be the second player on the puck. And then in this scenario, it would be Landis Cog would be the third player into the pile. Okay. The third player, knowing that he could be the eyes for Johnson, can now shoulder check both ways and realize, okay, one option, I want the puck to go this way versus the other way. And Johnson can't really tell because he's under so much pressure and he's pretty much facing the glass. Every all the plays behind him, right? So as it plays out, you'll see that if there was just one four checker, there would be an opportunity for Landis Cog to call strong side or wall to bump the puck up the strong side of the ice. And then he can just curl into it and they're out of the zone. The other option would be for him to call a back or behind where Johnson knows that he's going to take this hit, allow their F1 to finish their check and essentially take himself out of the play so that Johnson can just lay the puck behind the four checker and Landis Cog can scoop it up and go the other way with it. The third option would be for Landis Cog to call weak or net where he wants the puck to be bumped a little bit towards the weak side or behind the net so that he can now skate into it and obviously allow Nashville's player to take himself out of the play as F1, finishing the check. Johnson would know that his job is just to absorb the check and distribute the puck one of the three ways to the communicating forward or support valve and Colorado will be easily out of the zone. In this scenario, it's actually Byram who calls for it at the weak side and you'll see he receives the pass, moves it up and evades Nashville's strong forward check. So just another way that communication can help uh, players on the ice, even when you don't know what's going on behind you, your teammates can be the voice of reason and, and uh, be able to, to dictate which way the puck is going to be going. I like what you said too, Danny, caring about your line mates or caring about your teammates. And I think looking after them, I guess, you know, when you're making these calls, you're making this, you know, using this communication, you're, you're trying to help them. It's helping the team. It's helping everybody, you know, heads up or whatever guy coming, you're going to get smoked, but I guess it would depend on how nice you were to me the day before, if I was going to tell you you're about to get smoked or not. <laughs> like, I, screw this guy. He sewered me yesterday. I would have let him get just run from behind today. I don't think I ever gave you a suicide pass, so I, no. I'm trying to think back. I don't know. It was mostly uh, you just high flips and off the glass. If you yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, that's what you guys are down. up to. I try to, I try to mark up those white boots of yours every once in a while with a high ankle. <laughs> pass, but I think I was oh, pretty good man. to you. The only time I think, man, the only one I could think of is when you almost scored on our empty net when we had a, we had, we scored that, uh, the oh, yeah. penalty goal against Bellevue. That was, was I knew what I was doing. Minute, I was 50 minutes. Resetting yeah. the puck. That's all. Yeah. Off the side of the net. That <laughs> would have been a nice. Day. I never went off the side of the net. It was Did off it? the side of the net. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was we have to get the tape on this. I called for it. I was like, holy, what the hell is he doing? He almost buried it. Well, I knew, I knew the goalie was out. I, I was just making sure that we could reset on a, on a break. So the, the story is <laughs> yeah. it was a delayed penalty, right? It was delayed penalty. We're at home and, uh, you, I sort of was up in the rush a little bit and I sort of recouped just outside the blue line. And, and I think I one touched it back towards our own end. I think you're, you're making it up that I hit, that I hit the side of the net, but I, I know it was close. It probably would have hit the trapezoid area, but like you hit the side of the cage. And after that, we proceeded to put together like 30 straight passes and we scored after about a minute and a half. It'd be nice to get the video. Too bad, our, too bad we didn't have HD cameras back then instead of 
everything's by four four by three ratio or whatever. Yeah. Low def. But the good Mark old days. Lot was out there sauce chucking sauce. Everybody was chucking sauce. It was, <laughs> it was a hell of a hell yeah. you guys. We'll try to post it for you guys so you can see what, what I'm talking about. And we can I can for once prove Danny wrong and that he did almost in fact almost bury on our own net. You know, speaking of Mark, he's been doing well, like in his in his gigs that he's been doing online. Like he's every time I watch him on TV, he cuts up the game well, he speaks well. Like for a guy that was his a stallmate and we used to play Xbox all the time together. He's my D partner. I wouldn't have guessed him to be that that guy, but he's done an exceptional job at it so far. We got to get him on. He tweeted out the other day. So well, I was hoping to get him on for episode three because he wore three. He obviously had a huh. attachment to it, but we swung and missed on that one. But maybe we can reach out to Mr. Thought. And you're right. He was not so much the outgoing guy in junior and i don't think pro either but he's just doing phenomenal with the broadcasting yeah. and it, podcasting you know what's funny was uh after we had won the moral cup like a couple years later in pro uh, i forget who it was if it was what it might have been like weber or it was one of the western guys and they were like shit we knew we were in trouble when the first the first game we played crosby's team right we were down three one and we ended up coming back to win four three in overtime my thought scored two like really nice ones, which is yeah. sort of out of character of him. But I, I think it was Shea Weber. He was like, he's like, shit, I, I knew we were in trouble because they were in the tournament as well with Kelowna. And he's like, I knew we were in trouble when your shutdown D is going short side and winning over OT games. Like, <laughs> two like of them. yeah, two of them. What Both a game. Of them were shelf, short side blocker. Yeah. That was, uh, I, I still remember the, the break, well, sort of the breakout. Uh, into a two-on-one in overtime, and the whole building's yelling two. I think yeah. he's. I think he's going down with. He might even go down with pairs. Yep. And he just like looks him off. You know what? I'll finish this myself. But yeah, that was a obviously a fun game. That was a a fun time. But uh, speaking of taking care of your buddies, uh, our buddies at uh, Points Bet Canada, which is live in Ontario, uh, I've been donating to them a little bit. Um, I was doing parlays for a little while, trying to, hit, you know, swing for the fences. And then more recently, I just started to do a little live betting or just one games. And I've started to recoup back what I gave them, but um, I'm going to bet. I know this might not be well-received by our friends in Edmonton, but I'm going to take Calgary in this series. I don't, I, I don't know what your, what your take is. I'm going to, I'm going to watch the games closely, obviously, uh, and probably throw some money down. Uh, in live bet. bet though you're gonna bet the series you're not gonna bet every game well i'll bet every game too yeah like but i i'm i'm i think i've become more of an opportunist so when i'm action. i'm playing well I, I shouldn't be putting peer pressure on you like that i'm not no well i mean it's not like i'm putting a boatload on it i'm just doing it for the love of the game okay, right okay. but okay. It, i just like watching the live scores and hopefully you know a team that i'm wanting to win goes down early and i'm like yeah i'm gonna hit this now i'll take my chance with it but it's been working for me recently and uh everything prior to that wasn't so i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with my uh live bet and hopefully uh edmonton takes an early lead and then i can attack on uh, on calgary fair enough they they just came out i saw today they had gretzky wayne gretzky had a quote something like that calgary he sees calgary beating edmonton i, I people the social media is probably jumping all over them um unfortunately Actually made a movie with Wayne Gretzky when I was a kid, so it's, it's sad to see him get attacked by the mob, <laughs> Twitter mob. But I want to go. I'm going to stay away from that series because I don't want to get jumped. And if mm. you know, if we ever do wind up back to this, you know, Calgary Stampede, or we wind up down on White Ave, I don't feel like getting shit pumped. So I'm going to stick with the Carolina and New York series, and I'm I'm taking Carolina in game one. 
I think they're, yeah, they just made a mess out of Boston and I could see them, uh, I see them steamrolling on New York. So I like Carolina. That's my pick and uh, good luck with your, with your swing there in Edmonton going against the team that drafted you. I'm not going to call you a trader, but hey, do you. They traded me too, so they, they don't want me. Maybe I don't want them now, right? <laughs> After they taped your bottom hand to your stick, they <laughs> oh, the good old days. Anyways, Rob, uh, good catching up again. Uh, we'll uh, we'll connect again next week. Awesome. Sounds good, Danny boy. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Shrimp and Savrette Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nation Network YouTube channel to watch all of our video breakdowns. 